Thank you, Phil. Do keep that open. We're going to be looking at that reading this morning as we pray now that the Lord will speak to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus. And as we come this morning, we pray that for all of us, you'll help us to listen to his voice and follow him. In Jesus' name, amen. So in our reading, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And if I'm a modern person, I, at that point, probably tune out because I'm not a sheep. Or, I mean, think about it this way. If you were an animal, if I said to you, what would you like to be? What would you say? Would you say, I'd like to be a courageous lion uh, or a, a fierce terrier that never lets go of following their master? Uh, or maybe a, a thoroughbred horse or a wise old owl. What would you like to be? I've never had anyone say to me, I'd like to be a sheep. But actually, um, the ancient Greeks knew, better than us today, I think, that, that we are sheep. I think in our culture, we're trained to be independent, strong, uh, masters of our destiny, captains of our soul, and so on. But the ancient Greeks knew that actually, we are all shaped hugely, predominantly, by things beyond our control, by the place we're born, uh, the parents we're born under, uh, the events that happen to us in our lives, the culture we're surrounded by. We're all sheep, influenced heavily by the ideas and the people around us. Whether you're following fashion um, or fascism, whether you're following celebrities or socialism, we're all sheep following shepherds. And some of those are good shepherds, and some of those are not good shepherds. Some are very bad for us. And that's why Jesus here is talking about sheep and shepherds. That's the context. Uh, what is going to be good for us to follow in life? He begins by using this picture of the shepherd and the sheep. It's a very familiar Middle Eastern metaphor. Uh, but less familiar to us probably today in the modern world, and especially in the city world. Jesus begins by just talking about the, the simple things that would have been familiar to his hearers in the Middle East. There's the shepherd, first appears verse 2. The shepherd enters the gate into the sheepfold. He's recognized by the gatekeeper, whose job it is with the gate to keep thieves out. They're mentioned in verse 8, thieves and robbers. And then, of course, there's the sheep who spend the night inside the sheepfold where it's safe from wolves and predators and spend the daytime outside where they can forage for grass. And when the shepherd comes and calls the sheep, the sheep recognize his voice and they follow him out to pasture. Now, in, in Britain today, we have lots of rain, there's loads of grass. There are no wolves. It's a pretty good place to be a sheep, isn't it? But actually, in the Middle East, it was very different. Being a sheep um, was, a, was a fragile existence, uh, playing with, with starvation and with potential death any day from a predator. And the shepherd's life, therefore, was also demanding and dangerous. That thing that Jesus says about the the shepherd calls his sheep, 
and he leads them out. It's true in the Middle East in Jesus' day, and it's still apparently true today, that that's what happens. In our country, we drive sheep behind the sheepdog, don't we? But apparently in the Middle East, it's the usual thing that the shepherd walks ahead of the sheep and they follow him. There was a story about um, a group of tourists visiting Palestine once in a tourist bus and they drove past a flock of sheep with a man behind them, driving them. And someone said, hang on, I thought we we said in the Bible that the shepherds went in front and the sheep followed. And the the tourist guide stopped the bus and they got out and he went over and talked to the man and he had a quick conversation saying, is is this right? We've been told that you lead the sheep. And he came back into the bus and he said, it's okay, everyone. I've asked him and he's not the shepherd. He's the butcher. (laughs) So Jesus tells this story about the sheep and the shepherd not simply because he's wanting to give the Pharisees material for their forthcoming book on sheep farming in Middle East and and, and ancient Palestine. He is telling us spiritual truth here. He wants to teach us about who we are, sheep, and about who the good shepherd is. And there's an implied challenge here to the Pharisees he's talking to. Look at the end of chapter 9. He's talking primarily here to the religious leaders a challenge to them about the kind of shepherds they have been, or perhaps the thieves and robbers they have been, to God's precious people. And the picture of God as the shepherd and his people as his sheep is a common Bible one. If you're taking notes, Ezekiel 34 is very significant for what Jesus says here. In Ezekiel 34, it's verses 12 and 13, God says, because the leaders, the shepherds I put over my people have been so bad for them, uh, destroying them, causing bloodshed, not loving them, I, he says, I will look after my sheep as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock. I will gather them from the nations. And he promises later in the chapter, verse 23, I will place over my flock one shepherd, my servant David. So the king will shepherd the people on behalf of God, the good shepherd. So here is Jesus accusing the religious leaders, saying, you are those bad shepherds that God is going to replace. And very clearly claiming that he is the anointed king, the David figure, performing the role of God, shepherding his people. But of course, it's not just a challenge to people back then. Even today, surely this is true, leaders can be good and bad. Uh, It can be hard to tell a good shepherd from a bad shepherd or a thief, whether they wear bishop's robes um, or have seats in parliament. It can be hard to tell if someone's a good or a bad leader. And the way to tell, Jesus says here, Look at the effect they have. Look at the impact of their work. Do they kill and destroy? Are they in it for themselves? Do they leave bloodshed and mess, whatever they do? Or do they guard and lead their flock? Jesus focuses here on himself, of course, and he uses two very simple pictures of his role as God's son come for God's people, the gate and the shepherd. 
the gate which defines the identity of the flock inside the sheepfold. Who are God's people? And then the shepherd, which he uses to define his relationship with us as his sheep. What's he do for us? So the first, the gate. Here is Jesus saying, I am the way to life for my flock, for you. I am the gate for the sheep. He says it twice. It's important. Verse 7, verse 9, I am the gate for the sheep. He says what's going to happen is that thieves are going to try and what we call gate crash. They're going to try and get you because they're after your blood. They don't know you. You don't know them. You don't know their voice. God's people won't listen to them because they're fake. But I'm different. I am the gate. I am the way to salvation and to life for you. The only true way for God's flock to find God's blessing. If you think about it as the gate, he's saying, isn't he, you have to go through him. He says you have to go through me going into God's people to find safety. So that's the end of the day. The night is falling. The wolves are circling. He says, come in through me and I will protect you. You'll be in the sheepfold safe. As a member of the flock, you'll be safe from the wolves of sin, of temptation, of evil, of doubt, of death itself. You'll be safe. Come in through me. The people of God, the family of believers, the flock of Jesus, come through the gate to safety. But of course, then the next morning, daybreak, pursuing his picture here, the sheep look out of the gate and the sun is up, the grass is green, if I were a sheep, I'd be saying, I want to get out there now. That looks good. And so Jesus says, you will go in and you will go out through me to find pasture. You'll have a way to the spiritual nourishment that I can provide you with. The peace we long for, the hope we desire, the courage that we need. I'll fill you with those things. He says, in fact, verse 10, it's a wonderful verse, isn't it? I have come that you may have life, that you may have all the grass you need in this life. Life to the full. Peace, hope, courage, love, forgiveness. More than you can cope with. So, he is the gate. So the flock of God, you and I, his sheep, can come in and find safety amongst his people and go out and be blessed richly. Now, here's one implication of what he's saying here. He's saying, isn't he, there's only one way. He doesn't say, I'm I'm one of the gates. Um, There are lots of others, but if you want to choose me, I can do a few things for you. He says, I am the gate for the sheep. To belong to God's people, here's the definition thing, to belong to God's people You need to come in through me. Other ways will be dead ends. They'll leave you outside at the mercy of the wolves of life. I am the gate. I am, he'll say later, the way. So you see, that just means, doesn't it, other religions will not give salvation and life. We may have things in common with them sometimes, but they will not be the way into salvation and out 
to fullness of life. Nor will simply trying to live a good life. Many of us are trying to do that, thinking that's the way. That's the gate to salvation. Or nor will a life of church going. Some of us are probably trying to do that. Jesus says, I am the gate. You have to go in through me. I've come to be the way to life and life to the full. And we're going to hear, aren't we, as we go out into this, as you switch on the TV, as you read the paper, as you talk to people at work this week, we're going to hear thieves and robbers trying to snatch our hearts all the time. They'll be promising us false promises this time, a fulfilled life. They'll say, we can save you from the worst things in life, but Jesus says they can't. He's the only gate, open enough, wide enough, but also strong enough to save us and give us life. And that makes me think, who can I pray for, therefore, today? If he's the gate, who do I know that I can pray for that they might see him? They might look into the sheepfold of God's people and think, I want to be in there. And look out through him and think, that's real life. He can give it to me. Who can you pray for today? So it's a very rich image, isn't that picture of the gate? It has so much to say to you and me today about where safety, true salvation lies and where real life lies as well. I wonder if you found the gate yet. Secondly, the picture of the shepherd. And we'll look a little bit more at this again next week at the all-age service. The shepherd gives his life for the flock. The gate is the way to life. The shepherd is Jesus saying, I'm also going to give my life so that you can have life. I am the good shepherd, he says, verse 10. And again, he repeats it actually in verse 14. This must be important again. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, he says, verse 10, lays down his life for the sheep. Now, once again, he's drawing a contrast here. This time, it's not so much the, the shepherd and the thieves and the robbers. It's the good shepherd, and it's the hired hand. On the one hand, he says, the hired hand doesn't know the sheep, doesn't care about the sheep, and as soon as danger comes, as soon as the wolf appears, he legs it. He's out of here. The shepherd, however, the good shepherd, when he sees danger, he lays down his life for the sheep rather than see them die. It's a very powerful picture, isn't it? It says in verse 14 that he knows the sheep and the sheep know him. He's talking about you and me here for followers of his. He knows the sheep, the sheep know him in the same way as the Father knows the Son, the Son knows the Father. That's the depth of connection between sheep and shepherd, between you and me and Jesus, if we follow him. That's the connection, the love, the sympathy he feels for our danger in the face of evil and sin and death. That's the connection that leads him to sacrifice his own life. What he's saying is, uh, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am going to do in reality, on the cross, what the good shepherd does in theory. I'm going to do that for you. 
Now, some people have said that in John's Gospel, um, there's no strong picture of why Jesus dies, the meaning of his death. A few people have argued that in John, Jesus lays down his life as an example. Just saying this is a great way to serve other people. You do this as I've done it for you. But actually the word he uses here, and he uses it several times in this gospel, the word for, just one little word in our English, but it's best translated from the originals, on behalf of. So he says, the good shepherd lays down his life not as an example for, but on behalf of the sheep. It's a instead of, in place of, so that you haven't got to word. His death, Jesus' death, is the death that you and I would otherwise have had to die. His blood has been shed because otherwise yours and mine would. He bears the penalty of our sins in his place so that our guilt is fully dealt with. Our death is taken away. And does it willingly? There's a story told by one Bible writer about a soldier injured in the First World War. And he's in the hospital, and the doctor came to talk to him and said, I'm sorry, so sorry, you've lost your arm. And the soldier replied, Doctor, I didn't lose my arm. I gave it. Jesus is saying here, the shepherd lays down his life. He willingly voluntarily, we'd say, gives his life because of the depth of connection with his sheep. His sympathy leads to his sacrifice. Seeing our desperate danger in the face of death, he pays and gives the remedy. It's only then, as he's going to say in the verses that follow, when the way is open... When the sacrifice is made, the forgiveness is available. Only then, having died, he says, will I take my life up again? I'll lay it down and then I'll take it up again. That's resurrection, isn't it? That's Easter Day. So that I can become the gate of life for all who come through it. The shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The gate is the way. And as we think about ourselves today, maybe that some of us are in positions of shepherding someone. Children. If you're a parent here, we are shepherds to our children. God's put us there with that purpose. Small group leaders, children's leaders. We're shepherds, under-shepherds of Jesus the Good Shepherd. And he's partly challenging us this morning, saying, if you want to be a shepherd amongst God's people, if you want to be a parent of children, raising them in faith... What kind of shepherd are you going to be? We've been put here not to kill the sheep or to beat the sheep, but to feed and, in spirit at least, to die for the sheep. It's a challenge, isn't it, for us? But can I put this question maybe to all of us this morning? Who is the shepherd in your life? Who is the shepherd? Maybe you used to follow Jesus wholeheartedly in the past, but things have got in the way since. Complications, setbacks, hardships, career. And can I ask therefore this? If if other shepherds are feeling very attractive to you, 
Can I ask, that career in accountancy that you follow, can it really give you protection from the big things in life, from evil, from sin, from temptation, from death? Can it give you the joy and the freedom and the peace that only Jesus promises? Can it really? Who's your shepherd? Those friends whose opinion you value so highly that you'll sometimes make compromises in order to keep their good opinion. Will they die for you when danger comes, as Jesus does? Will they lead you with a voice you can trust through everything in this life and beyond into eternal life? Will they, really? If you don't have a good shepherd yet, today will be a very good day, wouldn't it, to give your life to him, to see the way to safety, the way to life, to see the life laid down on the cross and to say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. You're my good shepherd. Today will be a great day to do that. Trust him to protect you, to feed you, to die for you, to give you life. At the end of what Jesus says here about being the good shepherd, he does end, as I mentioned, by saying, I will lay down my life in order to take it up again, to rise. He's talking about his resurrection, that he's not just the good shepherd who dies for us, he's the good shepherd who's present alive today to guide us and guard us and lead us still, forever. And that's very, very good news, because you and I are sheep, aren't we? We are weak and foolish, if we're honest. We don't know how to deal with the big things of life. With temptations that are too strong, with evils that are too powerful, with what happens beyond the grave. We don't know what to do with that. We have no power over it. But Jesus does. He can deal with danger, with emptiness, with guilt, in a way that you and I cannot. He can keep the robbers and wolves away. He's the gate to your safety. He's the guardian of your soul and mine. He's the guarantee of forgiveness. He's the guide to fullness of life. So let me suggest that we just are still now for a moment. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And this will be a great prayer to join in with if perhaps today you just want to say for the first time, I want you to be my good shepherd. Or perhaps to come back to him and say, other shepherds, are around in life, and thieves and robbers too, but I want to trust you first of all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the gate, the one way to find salvation and life, and that you paid the price on the cross as loving shepherd to win that forgiveness and freedom for us. We want today to say that whatever other shepherds or thieves influence our lives, from this moment we want you to be the good shepherd. We want you to be the way. The way to God, the way to life. May we trust in you, help us to follow you. And lead us, we pray, through all of the trials and hardships and dangers 
feed us, guide us, save us, now and always. Amen.